0: Welcome to CUCC's Sermons for Everyone. No matter who you are or where you find yourself on life's journey, we're glad you've tuned in, and we hope you find meaning in this week's sermon. Well, this time of year, the church ends up talking about resurrection a lot. Or some end up avoiding talking about resurrection a lot. Either way, it is the topic at hand. We spend all of Lent getting ready for Easter. We wave the palm branches. We read the the not so good Friday narratives. And then Easter morning, we sing the roof off this place that Christ the Lord has risen today but then it seems we often move on. We move on at church. We move on in our lives. So I thought we could spend a little bit of time this morning thinking about resurrection. As I want to suggest that the Easter is more than a, a singular sunrise in which we celebrate the end of death, but it is, it is the beginning of something new, something altogether new that we get to participate in. So let's, let's do this. Following Jesus' resurrection, we're told that he, he sticks around for another 40 days or so right, before ascending, that is before returning to God. And truthfully, we don't know a whole lot about, about those 40 days, but what we do know is that from time to time, Jesus would appear, like just show up to be with those who were closest with him. Next week, we're gonna dive deeper into one of these post-resurrection experiences, often referred to as the road to Emmaus. I'll tell you, one of the, the commonalities among all of these appearances of Jesus is that after his death and resurrection, Jesus is still Jesus, but something has changed. There's something different about him, In multiple accounts, Jesus appears to his closest friends and disciples, and yet they don't immediately recognize him. It's like they see him, they know it's him, but there's something altogether new about Jesus. This will be one of the themes that we dig into next week, but but we also see it with Mary in the garden Easter morning. We read from John chapter 20, starting in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus' He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned towards him and cried, teacher. And there are other accounts similar in nature, Jesus standing with with his people, and yet there's something new about him. For a moment, they don't even recognize him. And these changes seem to be beyond just his physical appearance. It's his whole way of being. Again, on multiple occasions, disciples are gathered in in a small house or a small room, and we read that that the house was locked. The room was locked, and yet out of nowhere... Jesus would just appear, standing among them. We keep reading from John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his, his side, The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And then further down we read in verse 26, a week later the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here, see my hands, reach your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And it's not that Jesus hadn't done plenty of, of physics bending miracles in front of them before. It's just this was something else. Something new, something different. It was still Jesus, but after his death and resurrection, it was like a, a new Jesus, In theological circles, we call this new post-resurrection Jesus, the glorified Jesus. Because through his death and resurrection, Jesus took on an elevated state, an ideal state, a glorified state. And on some level, that's the difference between a resuscitation and a resurrection. One is simply coming back to life, where the other is coming back different coming back changed. It was like out of Jesus' death arose something new, something even better. Now I know and I can tell by the looks on your faces, it's a little abstract for 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. So let's bring it to the real world a little. Have you ever driven past a controlled burn? A crew strategically setting a blaze to an overrun prairie or a forest floor. Whether your windows are down or not, you smell the smoke. And then as you get closer, you begin to see the fire. A crew's walking in a line along the edge of the fire. As it sweeps across the ground, they use fuel to direct it, water to control it. Can you picture it? Have you seen one before? Have you seen the scorched land that's left behind? I'd never experienced this until our family moved to Illinois. And honestly, the first time I came across a field on fire, it totally freaked me out. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm from the West Coast. I'm, I'm super familiar with forest fires. I've just never seen people light them on purpose. It seemed reckless, dangerous, unnecessary. Just, just let it grow, but it doesn't take long to realize the value of a controlled burn, right? That the whole purpose of setting flame to an overgrown field, the, the space that's created for, for new growth, the risks that are diminished by removing dry leaves, fallen branches, the, the organic nutrients that is absorbed into the earth and ready to feed new life, the whole thing's quite, quite a remarkable thing thing, right? From the church, if you turn left, drive south a little way down La Fox, you'll, you'll come across a wildly beautiful piece of land, right? Just before you hit 38, there's this section that's it's a little gnarly on both sides of the road. There's wild grass, a mix of trees, fallen timber, and the whole thing is like shaped by mill creeks, twists and turns. And just two weeks ago, a crew carried out a controlled burn on that entire piece of land. The field and forest were completely scorched. I could smell it from my church office and, and slowed down and watched it while I drove by. Everything was charred. And yet the, the truly amazing thing is if you were to drive past today, you can barely tell already Right? Other than just a couple patches of, of, of black earth and some piles of seared logs, it's already grown back in. And in fact, it's, it's somehow even brighter, right? Even cleaner. It's somehow even more beautiful than it was before the burn. There's a sense of, of newness to that piece of land. It's like the fire made room for new life, cleared path for for new growth. It's like something had to die so that newness could sprout up out of the ashes. And we, we can watch this rhythm take place all around us, from hibernating bears waking their dormant bodies to 100-year-old oak trees watching their leaves drop just to be reborn again and again, year after year. In the part of the world I come from, there's nothing more natural and rhythmic than the salmon runs, right? Hundreds of thousands of Pacific salmon going upstream back to the fresh water they were born in so that they can spawn, die, and decompose. And it's in their dying and decomposing that their bodies feed the entire river ecosystem, which in turn feeds the forest, The whole thing is constantly moving from death to life, from what was to what is. Friends, the world is in a constant state of resurrection, newness. It's all resurrection, and it's everywhere. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that a hibernating bear is the same thing as Jesus rising from the dead, right? But what I am saying is that new life out of apparent death happens all around us. Again, what I'm not saying is that we should stop celebrating Easter, right, or stop making a big deal about it once a year, but what I am saying is that we could, we probably should be looking for ways to participate in the ongoing resurrection of our world and and ourselves, What if resurrection newness, life out of death, rebirth out of ashes, was less about a one-time event and more about God's means of grace, God's way of operating in the world? What if the whole thing was an invitation? What if resurrection was something continuous that we get to participate in, something that was everywhere and always, a, a universal patterning? A wonderful means of, of hope and grace. And then maybe the more important question is, what if, what if we learn to embrace resurrection in our lives? What if we learn to, to welcome the process by which all things are made new again? We all long for newness. We, we find energy and purpose in, in fresh starts, in in realizing uh, potential. And yet, there's a part of resurrection we don't like, a part of this cosmic ordering that we stray away from. It's death. We love the idea of something new, but we struggle with the process of, of letting go of, of the old. We love the image of a bright green pasture and a fresh forest floor, but we, we resist. Striking a match to make room. Now, I'm not sure who needs to hear this this morning, but I wonder, are there areas in your life, in your world, that are in need of a controlled burn? Are there things that may need to die in your world so as to create room for something new? Maybe it's the job that no longer works for you. Or, or the project that's no longer rooted in, in passion or purpose. Maybe it's the morning routine that no longer feeds your soul or, or the volunteer opportunity that you, you once signed up for. But, but it hasn't been a source of joy in a long time. Maybe it's the house that was perfect for a season but you're ready for a new season. Or the friendship that used to be mutual and life-giving, but now is just an obligatory dinner date, are there things in your life that may need to go or change so as to create room for some resurrection newness? I wonder, maybe the thing that needs to to die is inside, right What might? What might you be holding on to that's now holding you back? Maybe it's anger from the past or, or some low buzzing, under-the-surface resentment. Maybe it's some shame or guilt that you can't seem to shake. Maybe it's, maybe it's a deeply rooted materialism, an attachment to money and all the stuff money can buy. Maybe, maybe it's a sense of entitlement Sense that, that you deserve more or worse more, should have more, whatever whatever it is. I wonder if there's something inside that's in need of a controlled burn so that a new self can can spread her rings. So that a new self can can put down some roots. Or we could flip this and talk about it a little bit more positively. Is there something inside of you that's been begging for resurrection? begging for newness, but hasn't had the space to come alive? Is there a thing, a new thing you see yourself drawn to, a a thing that you've tried to integrate into your life, but it never quite takes, it never lasts for more than a a couple months or or a couple weeks even? A new discipline, a, a new habit, a new relationship, a new spiritual practice? Is there a new thing that you long to add to your life, but it never seems to work out that way? What if the reason it hasn't worked out has nothing to do with your level of commitment or your level of discipline? What if the problem isn't you? What if there simply isn't enough room in your life for the new thing to grow? Maybe we can't keep piling new things on old things like a disastrous storage room in a basement, of which I have one. Maybe life eventually runs out of space and newness stalls out. We know that for new life to to find fertile space to go, something has to give, and yet it's so hard to do. It can be so painful to let go. And so I'll ask once again, friends, are there areas in your life, in your world that are in need of a controlled burn? Is there something inside you that's begging for newness, begging for resurrection, but maybe hasn't had the space to come alive? If you're the kind of person that needs permission to to let things go, to let something die, to to clear space in your life so that you can remain open to the next. Permission granted. And you don't have to accept my permission. Nature is giving you permission to participate in resurrection, to let old things go so that you might create space for something altogether new. Beginnings and endings, life from death, newness from that which was old. It's how the world turns. It's how things come into being. It's all resurrection. And everyone, everyone, everyone is invited to participate. And so, friends, as you go about your week, I invite you to, I encourage you, even challenge you to go for a walk in a forest preserve. Sit on a bench beside the river. Drive down La Fox Road and watch a field reborn out of ashes. Watch as the world wakes up this week. Watch as newness springs to life. Through the prophet Isaiah, God proclaims, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making way in the wilderness, uh, streams in the wasteland. Friends, God is up to something. God is alive and well. Jesus came back from death better than ever, glorified and, and new. And so can you. So can you. In God, there is newness to be found. This week, I'd like to close with a prayer. It's a, a prayer written by Walter Brueggemann entitled Start Again. Will you pray with me? God, you are the one who brought our Lord Jesus Christ again to life from the dead. You are the one who by your summoning imperative has caused the world to be. You are the one who has the will and power to begin again, to start anew. You are the only self-starter whose name we know, and so we bid you start again. Start here, start now, start with us and with our church. Start with your mercy and with your justice and with your compassion and with your peace. Make the world new again and young again and innocent again. Start again. Amen.